0: Technically, it's three
1: camps. We have three different encampments. Camp Brookwoods. Brookwoods.
0: Camp Deer Run. Camp Deer Run. River Outpost. Three camps.
1: Moreau and Brookwoods. Deer Run.
2: River Outpost.
3: The Three Camps Podcast. With your hosts, John Cooper and Seth Coates.
1: Three camps.
3: Hello, and welcome to our third episode of the Three Camps Podcast. We're glad you're with us. With me, of course, is Seth Coates. I'm John Cooper. Seth, how you doing this week? Pretty
4: good. What's been going on? Um, I've been spending most of my time uh, working on hiring staff and then communicating with um, the wild crowd, the kids that do our leadership training program. Um, and then the big thing that happened this last week is we did zoom calls with parents that were already registered for camp. So starting to talk about summer and what it might look like, that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. How about you? What have you been up to? Um, you know, we've had groups coming in.
3: Uh, we actually our Winnipesaukee winter weekends are going on. We actually have one happening, uh, right. As this podcast drops. I don't know if everyone knows this. The cool thing about those is the lake is totally frozen over and we have our ice rink now. So we've been having some families come and just do fun, kind of the winter stuff. Cross-country ski, snowshoe, ice skiing, ice skating rather. And the tubing, hell. Huh? Our oh, kids. Oh, the
4: tubing, yeah. Both our families and uh, the other staff kids have been tearing it up on that. I should tell you, in fact, you know as much as I do. We
3: have had some really good feedback on the podcast. We've had some, some of you reach out and say nice things and we're thankful for that. Uh, but... A couple of answers to possible questions. One is um, it, we've, we've heard you say that it's not so easy to share the podcast if you wanted to share it with people in your network. We have at least given a little bit of that um, some thought and we've been able to put a, a link to the podcast on our homepage on the website. So that should be an answer for some of you who are looking for that. Uh, and then Seth, we have had a couple of people reach out with confusion over
4: the voicemail. Right. And I think it's important to know that we've plugged it a couple of times yeah. and maybe it's too undefined. I don't know. Maybe we should just maybe you should give us an idea of like what your vision for the voicemail okay. is. Well, I, yeah, I guess we're dating ourselves when we're like,
3: use your phone and make a phone call. You know, right. that's even true. You can't rare. text this. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, OK, so give me like 10 seconds here. The. The thing I originally thought of goes back to um, an experience I have with a guy uh, over this last summer in our Winnipesaukee weekends, um, a guy by the name of Luke, who I consider a friend. He has come through camp. He was a camper all, all throughout. And then he's been a counselor and was going to be a counselor again this past year. And he and his group came up for one of the weekends and I didn't know he was coming. So I ran into him. I'm like, Luke, man, what's going on? And You know, I think he was happy to see me, um, but as much as anything, he was a little bit like, I don't like it. I don't like being here. It's too weird. I miss my friends. This place is this place because of the people that occupy this place, you know, and um, I totally got that in that moment. And I think I'm getting it even more now. So I'll tell you, originally the idea for the voicemail, the message board, whatever you want to call it, was like a place for people to kind of reach out with messages to camp and camp. It can be, you know, individuals that go to camp or, or, you know, the camp, greater camp community. But, you know, I think we thought or I thought that people could call in and just have some thoughts. Like it would be a place for them to express themselves about anything that they may be feeling, whether it could be about a podcast episode or about a story or a suggestion. But also just like a this was the best thing that happened to me in 2015 when I was at camp, whatever it is, you know. So that's probably. And
4: and Is it fair to say that like maybe I guess in this idealized version in our minds anyways, um, maybe we get ideas for a podcast or we find somebody that we want to reach out to, or maybe we just get a great little sound clip that we can drop into a podcast and you hear yourself on one of these episodes. Yeah. Um, Maybe we want it to happen now though. It's like uh, we were just talking when we were getting coffee a little bit ago about like, We don't want to sound too desperate, but I think we've crossed that line already. Maybe in this moment, Uh, we sound like uh, we can't get a date to the senior prom. Oh, that one hit too close to home. (laughs) There, I was homeschooled, so it didn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't go. I was too Uh, awkward to go
3: anyways. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's how it is. Yeah. I guess, I guess you've nailed it. Uh, Last thing I'll say is that, you know, it's not, it's, it's fine if we end up finding out that this does not have the legs that we thought it would. But ultimately, this is just one other way that we thought we could engage people. And you know, one other example is we've had people say, hey, you told this story, you missed it, you could have told, or here's another thought, you could have brought so-and-so in to tell this story, or I know so-and-so, they have a great version of this, and, and just like, we just want a repository for some of that stuff. So mm. that's enough about that, I'll just say this one time. Call us, leave a voicemail, 978-308-2679
4: nine seven eight three zero eight two six seven nine john's made it so easy for you to do this if you're like afraid to uh call somebody if you're in that category like the younger generation where you you don't you've never called somebody maybe um there's a hyperlinked phone number in the description wherever you got this podcast all you have to do is touch it there you go
3: So Seth, the beauty of what we're doing as I see it is we have kind of open range to do anything we want with this podcast. Um, Clearly we want it to be good and we want it to be compelling. Uh, And if anyone has listened, they know we're trying to include all camps. We're trying to keep stories, you know, sort of following the same theme and and really just do things that can reach the greatest audience uh, around people who love this place. In so doing... Uh, We probably are going to tell a story today that's unique for us in that it's only one story told uh, from three different voices. And we think it's interesting enough um, that it's worth doing.
4: Yeah, totally. It's probably worth saying that um, Moose River Outpost is not. This is not represented in this storytelling today, but I don't think it matters because as we've talked to the guests and and you've already kind of edited through this a bit. um, It's the story today. I think if you've been on a trip or if you've led a trip or if you've even just gone camping, I think you're going to find things to relate to here. And um, some of the takeaways at the end, I think relate to anybody and just life. So um, if you're in the Moose River Outpost crowd and you've started listening to this, I would give it the listen all the way through, um, even though you're not going to hear somebody's voice from the camp that you went through. Um, Leading up to this, we have a couple disclaimers. Yeah. Um, So one disclaimer is um, you're going to hear our trip leader in this story. Her name is Emily, and she's going to... early on in the episode, she's going to talk about the medical training that she has. She's going to say woofer, which is a wilderness first responder. I also have this uh, certification and it's a very legit certification. She's going to downplay it a little bit, but I just want everybody to know this is a 90 hour course. And um, she's going to say something to the effect of like nothing could have prepared her or the woofer didn't prepare her for what she encountered. And I I think when you listen to it what i actually heard was it exactly prepared her mm. for exactly what she dealt with and i think my assessment listening to the story afterwards is she did all the very best things and the right things mm.
3: yeah and then we should also let people know this we think is compelling uh you know we we all have a spiritual component uh if we've come through camp we can appreciate that and there's I think just such a wonderful takeaway for those of us who who share the same faith and the Lord leads in just any way he chooses. And so it's nice to be on the listening end of some of that. Uh, But we should tell people, this is a pretty rare story. This contains occurrences that are very unique. Uh, I I think I can say once in 50 years, this has happened. So it's not like we're going to expect, or let me just put it, moms out there, (laughs) do not worry. This is not something that occurs on the regular um but what did occur just brought out such a beautiful uh story yeah this is episode 3 let's get into it
2: i led alagash both years i led one year with eric michney and the other with hank vogie Um, both fantastic people,
3: um, back by popular demand is Emily Bowder Balcom. Emily joined us on our last episode to tell a short story and she continues to help in the telling of this amazing story. Uh, to recap, Emily runs an outdoor ed camp in California that has the same calendar as a school calendar. And she was a tripping staff leader for two years at Brookwoods and deer run
2: and i think this was the first year but uh we're like four or five days in and at that point i had been leading trips for about three years two years at another place this was my first year at camp um and i was a woofer a wilderness first responder um so had some medical training but it is really limited and Everything was fine, Um, and then we got up one morning and this girl gets out of the tent and she's like, hey, I think there's something wrong with my smile. And I was like, okay, like, what's going on? Like, show me. And she smiles and like half her face is kind of drooped. And I was like, that's not your smile. Like, I saw you yesterday. That's not what you looked like. Um, And so we started like making breakfast, packing up. And I'm kind of just keeping a close eye on her. And as far as I remember, she felt fine everywhere else. But kind of as we were packing up, it kind of became evident that the whole side of her face wasn't working.
4: I have and to stop you there. I'm, I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm serious. Like this is, ri- this yeah. is- well, as a woofer. You're thinking, does this child that I'm responsible for just have a TIA or right? yeah. a small time yeah. stroke, right? Yeah. I mean, that's in his woofer mind. That's where you go
2: you think half of your face not working you think stroke in my mind in my mind i was like is this camper gonna die in the next few hours or minutes i have no idea i am full-on panicking and faking so hard that everything's fine like just had no idea what to do so we get out i think we had a satellite phone and we call camp which i had always carried a satellite phone and been trained how to use it but never actually used it and so like getting on that and calling camp um i think we called the office got george on the line and he was like okay cool and you can tell when someone's like fake calm mm. and george was fake calm in that moment and that like He was trying to keep me calm, and I knew that, and so that freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah. No, wait, it it wouldn't have been George. I think we talked to Dave, because George was on Allagash.
4: Yeah, he would have been up there with you guys on one of the other teams.
2: I don't remember the whole conversation, but it was like that fake calm. Like, the conversation made me more nervous, because they they didn't know what it was either, which is fair. Sure. We stayed at the campsite. We set camp back up and just chilled, played games with everyone, hung out, Um, and then... Dave uh, flew in on a plane that could land on the lake that we were on, which was awesome. And it was like, we hear this plane coming because you're in the middle of nowhere. There's not really even planes that go by, especially not little low ones. So this plane comes over and it was just like this amount of relief that I felt like, I think I might've even shed a tear or two. I'm a crier. So (laughs) probably did. Um, but yeah he landed and he like the plane lands he steps out and I have never been so happy to see that man in my life.
1: <laughs> uh, I was actually going in anyway okay so it wasn't that we got a call and had to go check in. I was flying in because they needed a little bit of backup on the on the hardest rapids.
3: The man, the myth, the legend Dave Strodel. It's probable that everyone listening knows at least knows who Dave Struttle is, so we won't give him any illustrious introduction. Suffice to say, we're glad to have him on the show. And uh, just to clear things up, it wasn't Dave on the phone with Emily either. As we've ascertained, he would have already been en route. This story happened a decade ago. We're not exactly sure who Emily spoke with on the phone, but we have a pretty good guess that whoever it was knew that Dave was on the way. With Dave arriving, he would have been able to help make the call, on the uh, correct next steps.
1: So I didn't find out actually till I got there. So I walk up um, and we had this, you know, fun arrival. And, you know, it's always a little bit strange. We try to not bring outside people in because a trip, uh, as George Bowling will say, sort of has a bubble to it and you want to be a group. But this was just sort of a logical thing that we needed to back up a little bit, particularly for the first three miles literally of the um, of the rapids, they're called Chase and Carry Rapids. But so I actually arrived by float plane and um, got to get out and walk, you know, into the campsite. And I literally remember Eric and Emily were very pretty calm, but I remember meeting the group and everybody was pretty excited. And um, I saw Jesse and I thought, "Wow, that girl has a really interesting smile." And I, I literally remember my thought being, you know, because I didn't really know Jesse. Um, we probably had crossed paths, but I didn't really know her well. So um and so then after a couple minutes, Eric and Emily, who probably were, you know, in their gut going, Oh no, we gotta you know, maybe glad that Dave's here or something. So we um we sort of stepped aside and they said, Yeah, that's um there's something going on medically here. So- well
3: the cat's out of the bag. We bring you the one that all this fuss is about.
0: When I tell this story it's usually because I'm telling like two truths and a lie, like, oh, truth. I had a paralyzed face in the wilderness and people are like, no, that's the lie. Actually, it's not.
3: This is Jesse Woodring.
0: My name is Jesse Woodring and I was a camper at Deer Run for five years. I also did LVP and then returned to be a counselor on staff um, for two summers, one in Highland and one in LDP two.
3: Jesse was kind enough to come on with us and tell this great story. Uh, like a lot of people, she grew up here at camp.
0: I think I started going to camp after like fifth grade. And then I know I did LDP in 2009 to 2010. And then I know I was a counselor in college.
3: As is our custom. We asked Jesse if she preferred the top bunk or the bottom bunk.
0: Bottom bunk all the way. Okay, why though? Definitely because you get the wall space underneath the other bunk. I'm a big pictures gal. Brought a lot of stuff from home. You know, putting all my cards up when I get mail. Love that bottom bunk. Love it. Plus everybody sits on your bed.
4: And that's a good thing or a bad thing? A good thing. All right. Oh, yeah. This
3: is not true of boys, but let's, let's just agree that it's a good thing for girls if everyone sits on your bed. <laughs> okay getting back to jesse telling her story
0: so um it starts though back at the beginning of the summer of 2009 when i had started ldp1 and felt really sure like was really excited that the lord had me there had i'd gotten into ldp which is a big deal and was really excited to do the program and only a few days into camp i started to feel sick so this whole process happened and i ended up going home like 4th of July, which is like really early on in the first month. So I was already at home, already starting this like mental, physical, spiritual journey of trying to figure out why I wasn't actually at camp during LDP-1 like I thought I would be. So did a ton of work, you know, was with my mom a lot, went to the doctors, whatever, got diagnosed with Lyme disease, got on some medication and my symptoms that I had totally cleared up. And the doctors cleared me to go back. I had like come to terms with the fact that I wouldn't be able to go on Allagash, which was really hard, but through a process of like trying to discern with the Lord and on my own, like, okay, what does it actually mean when the Lord's plans are different than the ones that you had and things like that. So it was actually really surprising to me that I was allowed to go on Allagash, but everyone had okayed it. So the first couple of days of Allagash were amazing. I mean, if you've been on Allagash, you know it's beautiful, it's wonderful. I had an awesome team. Eric and Emily were such good leaders and loved my group and all that. But we got to Schofield Point, which will be familiar to anybody who has done Allagash. And Schofield Point is where you do a layover day. So we had already planned to be at Schofield Point for two nights. The day that we were canoeing into Schofield Point was really sunny and really hot and the medication that you can go on for Lyme disease makes you really susceptible to sunburn. Mm-hmm. So I got some really, really bad sunburns on the backs of my hands, which just kind of created this new problem where um, my hands were so hot, but I just like had to fan them all the time and like kept them, sticking them in the water and all this. So that made it really hard for me to sleep in the tent. I couldn't really sleep because my hands were so hot and so I was like trying to like zip my hands outside the tent while still like laying in the tent and really ended up mostly just sitting outside in my crazy creek reading the psalms from the beginning all night bending my hands to keep them cool somehow don't totally know how woke up in the tent Um, eventually my hands must have cooled off enough but the crazy part happened when I woke up that morning and you know, when you like kind of sleep on your face weird and you're like, oh, I must've just slept really hard. Like, just feels a little funny. So I didn't really think anything of it. And then I went out and like I said, we're at Schofield Point for two nights. So we're not like hurrying to pack up camp or anything. And uh, one of my team members was like, Jesse, your face looks kind of funny. And I was like, what do you mean by that? Mm. And I was like, I mean, I don't know. And they were like, it just kind of looks like it, your smile's not really working. And so I like run to the outhouse cause I'm like, what's wrong with my face? Take a little selfie on my digital camera. Cause that's what we took selfies on. <laughs> and I smiled and like the right side of my face was not smiling. And oh. so I was like, okay, this is something to consider. So I went back out, everyone's making pancakes, right? Like everyone's chill. And I'm like, guys, I really, I think there's something wrong with my face. And they're like, yeah. Yeah, there really is. So I can only imagine being like Eric and Emily at that point, having led trips since then and like dealing with crisis stuff in my job. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what would I have done? But the cool part is that Dave was scheduled to fly in that day already, like he said. So our team had inexperienced Yeah, we just had not experienced the rapids that like we needed to. So Dave had already been scheduled on the exact day that my face fell (laughs) to come and help us. Oh, my
3: goodness. So
0: that day, we're all kind of like, thank God Dave is coming. This is good. Right. We need another opinion. So Dave flies in. Dave, you probably remember this. You brought pizza. Pizza. And we were like the only team on Allegash to ever eat pizza.
1: You can't tell my secrets. You can't tell my secrets. Okay. That That one's out. That's okay.
0: I remember it. Like, I just remember you being like, but I brought pizza, right? Like,
1: oh,
3: they're really roughing it on the Allegash there with pizza. Yeah.
1: You only get one chance to make a good impression. That's what I was was told. Yeah.
0: So Uh, we, we really enjoyed that day. Like, I don't remember feeling stressed. I remember like knowing that everyone was going to work together and that I had already been through so much that summer with like trying to figure out what my place was and what Mm -hmm. the Lord was doing that I'd already built up some trust Mm -hmm. for like why things maybe have a different course than we expect them to. So, um, they, I mean, I had never heard of the term Bell's palsy, but I guess that's a term for when half your face paralyzes. But, you know, it's weird to, like, manually blink your eye. That's just a weird
1: feeling. <laughs> oh, my So goodness.
0: The next day, <clears throat> we all, like get in our canoes and go down to the rapids. And a ranger comes and meets us at the top of the rapids to take some of our really heavy stuff. And they also helped communicate back to camp and my parents and the doctor to see what they'd want. Um, so.
1: We kind of left it for the day. We decided to see where it was in the morning. And then as, as Jesse said, we, we paddled over and um, uh, we actually, there was a fairly young ranger and uh, it worked out really kind of well because he, he, said to me, um, I said to him, you know, hey, could we use your phone to call back um, and uh, to camp and just check in with the nurses and we know she's on medication. We just don't know if this is something we should, you know, allow her to continue or not. And um, and he said, yeah, fine. So um, we, we were able to make that call back and the nurses talked to the doctor and everybody kind of agreed this probably wasn't a good idea. But probably one of my favorite um things I did in my entire career was um, I sort of knew that it would be a good thing for me to be there for the rapids anyway. I also knew that Jesse had lived a lot of her life to go up there and that this was like the premier three miles of whitewater. And so I remember saying to the, the ranger now, cause I think his boss sort of suggested, Oh, maybe you should just keep him at the top of the rapids until, you know, until, um, until the plane comes in. And I sort of leaned over and because uh, I knew that I was going to take a little while. And I, after everybody hung up, I said to the guy, listen, I said, this gal has worked really hard to get here. I'm here to help him out. I said, we're just going to do this three miles. And then after that, we'll get in, we'll come back up and, um, and out we go. And they'll be fine to do the rest of the trip. And he goes, sort of in his main accent, you know, yup, I think that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, so that was kind of neat that we were able to. So I think if I remember Jesse, I put you in my boat, and we did the rapids either together or you duffed or something. And then um, at least you got to experience that, which was pretty special. Water. Mm-hmm.
0: Dave was great. He was with us. All of us went down the rapids. Super fun. Great experience. Um, and then at the bottom of the rapids, the ranger was like, "Hey, after speaking to all the people, sounds like you need to leave." And that was a really. I mean. Imagine, like, being finally on the trip that you've always wanted to go on, and then they say, actually, it's time to leave.
4: Mm -hmm. So did you know that, did you have a sneaking suspicion that that was coming, or was that, like, news to you?
0: I did not know. I mean, I I remember being unsurprised by, like, everything that happened at that point, because nothing, I couldn't predict anything at that point. So... I think probably when your face gets paralyzed in the wilderness, it's probably an indicator you shouldn't be in the wilderness. So I don't, I don't think I was gonna question anyone's decision at that point or
1: mm.
0: or would wanna be like a burden. Mm. So I don't remember feeling one way or the other, but I mean, allagash or like when you're at camp, there's just like this sense of living in the moment. So I don't remember disliking or feeling discouraged about any of the experience knowing that it was going to be over soon. It was pretty emotional goodbye. I remember feeling really sad because I'd like just gotten back with my people and had to leave again, but felt really thankful that Dave had flown in because that meant Dave could leave and my team could continue their trip. And there wasn't a full evac. It wasn't like everybody had to leave. There was a canoe that we had to like store up there somehow. I have no idea how the canoe got back to camp, but they had a duffer and like figured it out and had fewer people. But um, yeah, Dave and I, <laughs> this is where Dave and I's day begins. <laughs> Weirdest day ever. So float plane uh,
3: arrives, right? Where did, where did you end up going
4: first?
0: Well, we were in the plane above the Appalachians.
4: Yeah, <laughs> it was
0: amazing. Yeah,
4: so you got to see something that almost nobody sees on the Abagash.
0: Yes. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. It's beautiful, sunny, clear day. I had never been in a plane that took off on the water and it just, I have like, I have memories of it and I have photos of it and I also almost barfed up there because when <laughs> you're in a small plane, the motion sickness is real,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but um, we flew over our team to that was paddling at that point. And I'll never forget the the way I felt, the support that I felt, mm. the like connectedness that I felt when they like waved their paddles at us as oh. our plane flew over. That's a moment that I've always remembered because I wasn't there with them anymore. And they could have like not been looking. I don't know, but they connected the fact that I was in the air or that we were in the air.
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: That was really important. But we landed. I really don't remember how we got from the plane to a vehicle, but we did. And we were in this, Small town in Maine called Millinocket, which is very far north, and I have never been to again. <laughs> and we happened to be there on a the day when there was a giant Harley Davidson parade happening,
4: <laughs> so we watched that man. a
0: little. <laughs> and I have photos of that. um And we went. I think we ate at like Burger King or McDonald's. Yep. And I yep. remember drinking a diet coke when we were there and realizing that at that point. I was, my, I had lost at least some taste on the side of my tongue that my face had been paralyzed on, but yeah. I hadn't eaten enough to realize that. But when I was drinking the Diet Coke, it was a strong enough, more familiar taste. Yeah. I was like, I don't think I can taste this like normal.
3: Oh no. Hmm.
0: But, yeah.
1: We went right to the hospital and, oh, um, to the hospital. <laughs> yep. Guy, you checked out. And then I think we did the, I don't know. I remember being and seeing the big parade come through town at, at from McDonald's and um, and then kind of going a little bit south to try to find those pieces. And then your dad had, was driving up to meet us. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. My dad drove like 500 miles or something up up to get me from Dave. Me in yep. the dry bag.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's all I had.
3: Wow. That's a trying time.
0: <laughs>
3: like there was a lot of faith and a lot of growth, but also a lot of questions, right?
0: Yeah. I remember my dad, if he was on here, he would say that when we got, so we. my grandma um, lives in Maine, so we went to her house for the night, that first night, and I was kind of indignant about the fact that I wasn't on a trip anymore and frustrated, and so probably jokingly, but also just like, I don't know, stubbornly was like, well, I'm not going to shower for the whole time they're not showering, <laughs> because they're still on the trip. And he was like, no, no, you have to shower. <laughs> Here are some pajamas from the dollar store because you have no clothes with you that haven't been in the wilderness.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's funny, Jesse, to hear you talk because I remember, you know, just impressed upon me that um, this was the trip. And that was kind of, remember having that conversation with you at maybe McDonald's saying, you, where's your camera? Take lots of pictures. Because when everybody gets back together, you've got to tell them what your trip was, so right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, we often think about, I think one of the things when you have traditions like L, you know, LDP, within LDP or camp is that everybody who's younger hears the stories and they want to live that tradition out. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's not really the way faith is. That's not the way our spiritual walk is, mm-hmm. is that everybody experiences things differently, um, even if they're the same experience. So, you know, a sunset might be um, really cool for somebody, but it might bring back a lot of hard memories for somebody who mm. lost a you know lost a loved one, and um, you know you just never know what it is, um, what those connections are. So I remember um, thinking about that a lot. Is just um, that you were going to have a trip it was just going to be really different than you thought it was going to be, mm. and you were you were so cool about it. That's the thing I remember is like we had a good. It was just fun. It was like you know you know whatever we do, and then you asked about the canoe i actually because your dad came up Mm -hmm. um i didn't bring you back to camp so i actually went back in and got the canoe and then um and then made my way back and i remember you know that was my trip so it was a nice nice time i think i ended up staying it was a long day so i think i ended up staying a night somewhere too um Mm. but um yeah it was it was quite the adventure yeah so then how long was it
4: between when you left with dad Um, till you were able to reconnect, were you at camp when the group came back from the Allagash?
2: No,
0: I didn't. I mean, I don't remember coming back until after changeover. I was home with my family for a few weeks and my face was paralyzed for a few weeks and it wasn't totally, totally gone by the time I came back for a second month.
3: All right, so that kind of sets up, that sort of finishes out the chronological events of this crazy story. And before we get into kind of some of the takeaways that each of these people have, Seth, I wanna
4: ask you, you've heard all this now, what are some of your thoughts after what you've heard? So in the camping world, we use this phrase a lot, this uh, idea of a teachable moment, right? And we get to hear uh, Jesse's experience and Emily's experience and Dave's experience all together. And you're going to hear some of their teachable moments um, as they come out of it. Now, just to give you an idea of kind of what I mean when I say teachable moment, there's, I've never really found a good definition for this. So I I have my own kind of working definition. And it's any experience that takes added input to maximize learning. And so you're going to hear them kind of express some of that. And you're going to hear a few themes um through as they as they talk through uh, and look back on this, great, so we're gonna start off here's Emily kind of finishing off
3: what happened in the group after Jesse and Dave
2: departed by float plane. It was balancing the rest of the trip being like... Let's enjoy ourselves, but like every time we like stop to pray or something like that, that was like the first thing, sure, so oh, sure, it was on their mind. Like, they are so tight, like, yeah, it was definitely a huge turning point and probably a bonding moment in the trip as well. Like, those kind of moments are what bring you together, and like the memories that that group have are so unique, mm. like, no one can ever understand because it was like this little family of people together experiencing that. Yeah. The whole thing was just kind of like a really like eye-opening, humbling moment mm. where it's like, "Cool, we're going to pray right now. Mm. Yeah. There's nothing else we can do." Yeah. Nature has built me up and brought me so much confidence because I've built so many skills out in it, and it takes like a split second to like take you back whether it's just a thunderstorm Where you're like sitting in a tent, sitting under a tarp with a group of kids being like, there's nothing we can do right now except for trying and enjoy huddling together. Like a humbling moment like that or something like that story that like takes you back and being like, well, okay, here we are. Thank you, Jesus. Like, let's just kind of plug away, do what we know we can.
4: So I've led a a bunch of trips myself uh, through camps, our camp, other camps, um And hard trips often have, like, a, I think of it as a, like a nugget, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's usually a shining moment somewhere um, in, in a hard thing um, that when you look back on it, it makes you go, oh, yeah, that was totally mm-hmm. worth it. But I'm wondering if when you look back on that Allagash trip, um, what's your fond memory or what's the like the nugget for you?
0: I feel like I could say a lot. Um, especially because of like how, how much camp has been a part of my life, even when it hasn't like directly been it, like many things that I learned through my experiences have just continued to echo through my life. Um, and one of those things I would say started 2009, like that summer of 2009 was just me kind of in and out of LDP one in ways that had never really I, I, like I said, I've never expected that that would happen, never planned for it. And so at that time in my life, I really latched onto what feels sometimes like kind of a trite verse. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11 felt pretty special to me that summer, which says like, for, for, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope in a future. And the nugget from that summer was that no matter what my plans are, there are other plans potentially. And I can, I can lean into them and kind of like Dave said, I can have my trip still, like whatever happens is the plan. And that, that's probably why I, I would say doing that trip and in the ways that I did is probably why I've been able to, kind of squeeze the experience out of other hard things in my life too. The nugget though, that I would say is, um, at Schofield point, that's where everybody gets their Allagash rocks. Mm. Um, so if you've seen anybody who's done LDP, they probably have like a black rock that they carved something into, or like, you know, drilled a little hole in and they wear around their neck or on a keychain or whatever. And so I was really thankful to have gotten there because, <laughs> I, I didn't get to do all of Allagash, but I got I got to Schofield Point where I got to take my like token from Allagash. And something that I had been learning that summer and have learned so, so much since then is just that God is bigger than really anything. And he's bigger than my conception of him. He's bigger than my experience of him. He's bigger than other people's experience of him. And I wrote the word bigger on my Allagash rock. And that token has carried me so, so much farther than just that trip. And that trip is really, and that summer is really when I decided that I was going to believe that God was bigger than everything. So there's a lot more that I could say about that, especially like as I fast forward and doing my grad school research, like found out that people's understanding of God grows and changes when they understand God to be bigger than they thought that he was and just felt like it's really cool echo from like my grad school research all the way back to Allagash and to the ways that that has been a turning point for me.
1: I love it. Fantastic. So I'm sitting here getting real emotional um, because the story that I wanted to tell was later on uh, when Jesse was a leader at camp um, one of the things that often happens is the staff from LDP become really critical for their retreats, and um, so I'm going to tie two things together. So I always love the singing at camp, the worship songs especially. So I come up to a retreat whatever year Jesse, you were probably mm-hmm. on staff, and um, you were leading singing on Friday night, and you taught us a new song, and it's um, it's called One Thing Remains, mm-hmm. and you probably know it really well, but When you think about what Jesse just said, just listen to these lyrics uh, about bigger. Um, Higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant through the trial and the change. One thing remains, yes, one thing remains. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Um, And it repeats that, and then it says, because on and on and on and on it goes, before it overwhelms and satisfies my soul, And I never, ever have to be afraid. One thing remains, yes, one thing remains. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me.
4: Today's episode was produced by John Cooper and myself. A big thanks to uh, Emily, Jesse, and Dave for coming on the show with us today and sharing their experiences and their thoughts. Um, We hope that today's episode has been uh, encouraging, fun, and uh, exciting to listen to. We hope that as your day-to-day goes on, um, that you have the time to look back and capture the teachable moments out of uh, the experiences that you have. Um, We know that that's a goal for the camp experience uh, for every kid and staff that comes through the program. Um, and we're excited to be able to capture some of that here and share it with you. So we hope that you'll capture some of that just in your own personal life too.
3: Seth, let me join you in saying thank you to our guests and those who have listened. If you are wondering about Dave's top bunk, bottom bunk preference, we did not include it with purpose. It's coming and it's awesome. We look forward to hearing from you. We've got some good episodes coming your way. Thanks for listening.
0: For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah
2: twenty-nine eleven.